Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Hello again, friends. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. My name is John Russin. I serve as your host, and I'm here with my dear friend, Pastor Frank Friedman. How are you today, Frank? Oh, John, it's a wonderful day in the neighborhood. Ah, I can see what you watched <laughs> when your kids were little. <laughs> can you sing the song, too? Oh, I'd rather not. We'd lose <laughs> listeners. <laughs> <clears throat> a beautiful day in the neighborhood. I say that every morning in Tucson, uh, even the days when it's 110. Okay. Well, friends, you've joined us uh, in the middle of uh, Frank's and my running conversation on the book of Philemon. It's a small book with a really big punch when it comes to restoring relationships, always a touchy point for people. And if you've listened to us for a while, you've seen that this group of messages or group of chats on Philemon has followed 16 weeks of our discussions on what Frank and I call the one another's those impossible imperatives, that is impossible except for Jesus Christ in us, that are found throughout the New Testament. And we chose this book specifically because it takes so many of those one another's and puts them into practical use. So really, Frank and I have talked about this, the one another's were the lecture, and Philemon really is the real world lab for how this works. And Frank, we ended last time with a question and the question was this, uh, when it comes to restoring relationships, we know it's really hard. Are we willing for God to not only restore a damaged relationship, but to make it more than it ever was in the past? And here's the question I'll ask, for you, ask you, Frank, as we begin. How hard is it to abandon our expectations for what we think should be for what could be if God were to get a hold of the dynamics of the broken relationship. Launch us with uh, an answer to that question about our expectations. <laughs> oh, John, you know, I think I've had to tell people who have we've had difficulty with sometimes that it's not the hurt that was caused, but the, how hard it is for me to trust them again. You know, it's so much easier to build a relationship from scratch. There's no history, uh, no damage, but to restore a relationship that was painstakingly built and then have that crumble. You don't just rebuild a bridge when that happens. You got to clear out all the rubble and then rebuild. And that's a really hard thing to do. And, and I think, you know, John, one of the things that we do in our mind is we freeze those people in that moment of time when they hurt us. And what happens is we're freezing them in the worst moment of their life, at least in terms of relationship with us. And when we do that, we look at them, they're no longer a human being who made a mistake. They're a monster in our eyes. And you don't restore monsters. 
So it's a very, very difficult thing to do. I think it requires the mind of Christ. And what he said is that we don't look at anyone after the flesh anymore. We see them as who they are in Christ. We have to see ourselves in Christ, that we are restorers, not people like Lamech who want their revenge. And ultimately, we have to see God for who he wants to be to us. And, you know, I think one of the greatest demonstrations that he is a God of redemption and restoration is that he can work in us to bring about redemption and restoration. And then the unbelieving world can see how we do that and say, oh, I see God in you. That's a tall order, John. Oh, gosh, it certainly is. Just take a moment uh, for, for Frank and me and all your listeners out there. Just think about the most hurtful thing that has happened to you at the hands of someone else. I've got mine right now because I'm actually going through it at the moment. What will it take for me to be willing for God to take this relationship from the ashes and fix it? but maybe not even fix it, but make it better than before. And Frank, we asked this question last time. Are we willing to do that? Are we even willing to be made willing? Because frankly, when we face the wreckage of a relationship, we don't really know what it will take mm. to, to restore that. So it's really stepping into a journey, not only for us to stand there with our arms folded and say, ha, huh, I was right, you were wrong, and you've got to apologize to me. But we both have to be willing to step into this wreckage and mm -hmm. figure out how will this look uh, if we try to fix it, or how might it look if we allow Father to step in and teach us how to forgive, teach us how to repent, teach us how to listen, teach us how to restore the way he restores. Because I look back at myself, Frank, and I look at my long history of shaking my fist against God and all the stupid, sinful things I did over the years. And my father just wraps his arms around me and he enfolds me in his love as if that never happened. And boy, you talk about impossible. That brother is impossible unless Christ himself is living his life, not only in us, but through us. It's got to come out for this to happen. So my friend, we need to buckle up, man, because <laughs> we're going to look at this from Philemon's point of view today. But before we do, I want to give our listeners one piece of encouragement. You know, we're Frank and I are talking about how hard this is, but you know, the upside, if we choose to do it, could be absolutely huge. Here's what I mean. About this time, late first century in the Roman Empire, the historians tell us, Frank, that the master-slave dynamic was beginning to change in Rome. They give 25 or 30 different reasons why it might have changed, but I'm wondering, is it at all possible that Philemon led the effort, that what he did, a unique approach to restoring a slave when he should have just killed him, did Philemon have a hand in changing the tenor of an entire empire? We don't know. It's speculation. Mm. But I tell you, man, 
if we have the courage, and we'll talk about that word later today, if we have the courage to step into this wreckage, what might God do through our tiny act of faith? My goodness. Wow. Yes. John, I think one of the things that makes it so difficult, and this is a really powerful thing to think about, is that any true restoration is going to involve cost in the life of the one who's doing the restoring. If you look at Jesus, he bore the cost of forgiving by going to the cross. And when I have to forgive somebody in order to restore them, I'm going to bear the cost too. And I illustrate it sometimes of like, you know, when Janet and I hit our 25 years, I bought her a, a much larger diamond ring than I could afford when we got married. And it cost a lot. It cost more than I had. So I had to buy it on time. Now I gave her the ring in a moment in time, but then I paid for it for a long time. And that's the way forgiveness is. You know, I, I do it in a moment in time, but then I have to pay for it over time. It's costly, John. It, oh, yes. And that's why I think a lot of us really just would rather shake our feet, wipe our hands clean, just move on, say their relationship is over, rather than do the hard work of restoring someone. Oh, yes. And let's dive in right there, Frank, because you're talking about hard work. And when I look at verse 17 of Philemon, and I read this instruction from, from Paul to Philemon, he says, Philemon, receive Onesimus just as if you would receive me. Wow. Now, I, wow. You know, I'm sorry, Frank. This guy was a servant. He probably stole something. He likely sold it so he can get money to buy a boat passage to Rome where he runs into Paul. He's ruined Philemon's reputation, probably disrupted his household, caused a real nightmare. He might have slandered Philemon. Who knows what happened? But Paul steps in and says, okay, I know how you feel, but I want you to receive him just as you would receive me. I'm sorry, man. That right there is just, it's just staggering to me. I want to ask you that question, Frank. What if Apostle Paul showed up at your office door right now? How would you treat him? Mm. And, you know, just, just tell me, how would you treat him? Let's start right there. Well, you know, the first thing I would think of is, oh, my goodness, it's Paul. <laughs> you know, the honor that would be due him, the awe, the wonder that he's in my door. But, you know, John, as I'm saying that, I have this thought. Um, that's true of every child of God. You know, when you look at our design, we are the sons and daughters of the king. We're all princes and princesses. So we should treat each other that same way. But let's be honest, in the natural realm, we just don't think like that. And we look at people who are the elites and give them the honor. So it should be the same way for everybody, but it's not. But if it was Paul, I'd be going, wow. And then I'd kind of be saying, what can I do for him? You know, what can I do to bless him? How can I please him because of who he is? Yeah. Now, 
let's say at that same door, Frank, there is the person who has abused you most in life. And that person has become a believer now. Oh. And now, and now stands at the door and knocks and you open the door. Okay. Okay. Well, there Do you, you go. My... Now answer my question. <laughs> Do you want my public answer or my <laughs> honest answer? <laughs> Let's start with honest and then we can steer your error toward the truth. I most likely my first reaction would be, what are you doing here and what do you want? You know, uh, I think it's natural human nature when we have been hurt to put our defenses up and put a castle around our heart and kind of make vows that we're not going to get hurt again. And it's very hard, you know, but one of the things that First Corinthians 13 says is love always hopes. That's a hard one for us to hope that this person might have changed or will not want to hurt us again or that we can restore the relationship and then hope against hope that it could even be better than it was before but that's the first response i would probably give yeah you know it's a it really stunned me frank as i read through this and i got to praying through that one verse verse 17 and i thought to myself oh my goodness can I enter into what might be going through Philemon's mind right now? You know, the bitterness, the resentment, the how dare you come back? Where's that thing you stole? Do you know what you did to me? Do you know how you damaged my household? Do you have any idea of how I'm a laughing stock of Colossae now? You know, this started going through my mind. And then my mind went quickly to that list of one another's that we spent four months talking about. Forgive, Onesimus. Don't grumble against Onesimus. Have compassion for him. Accept him. Be kind. Don't judge. Be at peace. And ouch, man, love him as you would love me. Boy, I tell you. And as I thought about this more, my friend, this thought came into my mind. We don't know why. Onesimus run. There's a reasonable possibility that there was something associated with Philemon or his household that made Onesimus run. Maybe Onesimus showing up is going to reveal to Philemon that he needs to be willing to listen to why Onesimus ran. And so hmm. really, I see here a call not only to treat him like you treat Paul, but to do a self-examination, you know, what might I have contributed to this relationship breakup? Is there fault for me in this too? I know you and I are not engineers, but we know many who are. What's the root cause analysis? And if you're engineers, that's for you out there. What is the root cause analysis? Why did he live? And so, Frank, I see this not only as a charge for Philemon to just accept him and forgive him, but to really do some deep soul searching. You know, Psalm 139, search me, Father. What is in me that might have led to this? Mm. Wow. 
Yeah, a good friend of mine challenged me a while ago with an amazing verse, John, out of Psalm 119. You know that one that just never, ever ends? Yeah. <laughs> but wrapped up is this one little verse in verse 89. And this is what the psalmist said. All things are your servants, O God. That means, if I really believe that, understand it and appropriate it, that person that has done the wounded, that has hurt me, if I will receive it as a servant from God, he will use that to teach me and grow me deeper into the likeness of himself. It might be that I played no part in it. It might be that I played a little part or a big part, but that's really not the issue. The issue is, can I receive the circumstances of life as from my father's hand with this thought in mind that there's no random events in life, not when there's a God who sits on the throne of the universe and he will use those events to bring about a restoration of us to God in a deeper way and us between each other. As I'm saying that, John, we're going to teach on Joseph, and I don't know if I'm going to bring this up or not, but you know the account, I know you know it well, his brother sold him into slavery. And through that, of course, he's exalted up to prime minister and saves the nation and all that stuff. But when he meets the brothers three separate times, he said, you didn't send me to Egypt. God sent me to Egypt. That's huge. He's living out that all things are your servants, oh God. He's receiving those brothers as a tool in the hands of the Holy Spirit. Just like you're saying today, Philemon has the potential to receive Onesimus as a tool from God. Um, that's a big, big deal, John. Yeah. And it's not the first thought that would come into our mind, I would say. Oh, uh, not at all. Oh, gosh, no, because I've been wronged. And so my indignation is going to rise. My self-righteousness is going to pop right up. My I told you so <laughs> mm. is going to be right up there at the front. I told you, you should have listened to me. My pride is going to go through the roof. My anger could go through the roof. My bitterness, my resentment, just like you said, what are you doing here? What do you want? But you know, there's something in this nightmare for me. Mm -hmm. And am I willing to receive not only Onesimus, but this entire circumstance as a tool of father in my life? to conform me into his image. You know, that's, that's really what forgiveness is all about. It's not letting them off the hook. It's realizing that they are a scalpel in father's hand to shape me to be more like Jesus. And that's, that's a humbling thought, man, but that's, that's really difficult to wrap your head around without yeah. Christ in you. When you share that, John, it's a fascinating thing to think about, but if we will do that, we're then walking the same path that our Lord walked. You remember it says when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. 
We, we read that when they came, he didn't open his mouth. He, he could have. He could have slammed them. He could have called down the angels and blitzed them and slaughtered them. But he walked that path of being wronged. And, you know, it's fascinating, but this same Apostle Paul said in the Corinthian letters, what he's asking Philemon to do, he said, you know, if we have to take a brother to court, it would be better to be wronged than to do that. And this same brother that was telling me about all things are the servants of God also said this to me. He said, if you have to be carnal in order to win, it would be better to be wronged than to do that. That's hard words, <laughs> but they're correct words, I believe. Because as long as I'm trying to, to justify my own rage or anger, it's not that we don't get angry, but if I have to justify it and continue it and make sure I get my pound of flesh, I, I'm not walking in any semblance the way our Lord Jesus walked. No. And our first response, Frank, would be, well, I'm not going to be a doormat. God doesn't want me to be a doormat. Well, yeah. we're not talking about being doormats here. We're talking about fully acknowledging the wrong that was done to us exploring it deeply so that we own every aspect of the pain. We own every aspect of the physical, financial, spiritual, and emotional cost. And we say, I choose not to require it back. I release that debt. So we're not being doormats when we do this. As you say, we are, we're following in the path of our big brother, Jesus. Uh, and his life in us leads us to do the very same thing. Now, John, I don't think any of us, and that includes myself, I think includes you, understands the level of strength required to do that. Think about that issue of turning the other cheek that Jesus said. We have, at least I've always looked at that as like the response of a sissy you know, slap me on one cheek, just turn around, give him the other. And it's gone against the grain of, of everything that I, I try to be and everything that I've been. But somebody pointed out to me that for them to be able to slap your other cheek, you're standing your ground. You're still standing there. So it's, that's a huge thought. Oh, yeah. um, you're, you're not this wimp. You are very much a strong person to be able to stand your ground and turn that other cheek. It's a huge act of, of courageous faith in God. Uh, never thought of it that way. That's right. That is a brilliant thought. I never thought of it that way either. Thank you, Father, for that. Uh, as we're talking about this, Frank, my mind goes to what this same Paul wrote to the uh, the church in Rome in Romans chapter 12, when he gives these instructions to how to manage conflict. And I see every one of these applies to what we're talking about. So I'm going to read from my new favorite version, the English Standard Version, uh, from Romans 12. And he says, live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty. And Philemon, you could be haughty, but associate with the lowly, because this lowly brother Onesimus is now your spiritual brother. 
Don't be wise in your own sight. Don't say, I told you so. Don't repay anyone for evil, but give thought to do what's honorable in the sight of everyone. If possible, mm. as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. Don't avenge yourselves. In fact, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God because he says, I'll repay. Mm. And the, to the contrary, if Onesimus shows up at your door and he's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Take him back into your household and dare to have the courage to explore what your new relationship is going to look like. And he wraps up with this, don't be overcome by evil because it's so easy for us to do this and we've been wrong, Frank. Mm -hmm. But instead, overcome evil with good. And when I read through that in Romans 12, I said, wow, in the context of what we're looking at here in Philemon, that brings this passage just right up close and personal for what uh, Philemon and Onesimus are, are wrestling with as they're both walking through this valley. Hmm. Wow. The verse that's popping in my brain as I listen to you, John, is uh, the way to be transformed not conform to the world is to present yourself as a living sacrifice and renewing your mind that that's what you are. You, when we function like that, we are offering our lives on the altar as a sweet aroma of worship unto God. I think in the church, we have a very limited view of worship. We think that worship is singing songs on a Sunday morning. But true worship, we know from James, is feeding orphans and taking care of widows. True worship, the Greek word is lutrao, which means to serve. Uh, true worship would be being an agent of restoration, even if it costs you greatly. But again, the problem with a living sacrifice is if the going gets rough, we climb off the altar. <laughs> That's right. We can peel back our own duct tape and climb off ourselves. Yeah. So I guess we've been beaten up enough, Frank, by verse 17, receive him as you would receive me. I want to spend the rest of our time talking about the other difficult instruction that Paul gave to Philemon. And this is in verses 18 and 19. He says, I understand that he might owe you something. If so, I will pay his debt the next time I see you. So I want to change our focus just a little bit and look at the more tangible aspects of the debt that we will feel is owed to us uh, when someone wrongs us. We've alluded to this a bit already, you know, our reputation, we've been slandered, we've had turmoil, so they, they owe us. But Paul says, you know, if he owes you anything, not just money, but anything, I will pay it back to you. So this takes us right back, Frank, to the whole idea of Onesimus owing a debt that, frankly, he can never pay. But someone else steps in and pays that debt for him. Now, to my knowledge, Paul never made it back to Colossae, so he never paid whatever uh, Onesimus owed to Philemon. But the thought is just so simple. Hey, if he owes you anything, put it on my tab. 
I'll take care of it. Wow. Because we do, Frank, we do have a sense that we are owed when someone hurts us and we want to get our money's worth when they come back. But boy, when we do that, we can take a relationship that's possible to restore and we can derail it right from the start when we enter an, a conversation with an attitude of being owed, can't we? Absolutely. And Paul at that point is, he's actually, as he said in Philippians, be an imitator of me as I am of Christ. He's walking in the same path that Jesus did. He paid the debt that he didn't owe. So Paul could be restored. So now Paul says, I'll pay the debt that I don't owe. So Onesimus can be restored. And you know, this is what our faith is all about, is that we become his hands and feet on this planet. His life is our life. So he's still living Jesus, but he's doing it now through a different body. And he wants to live that same radical, redemptive life in and through us. And Paul's doing it here for Onesimus. And Philemon, I think when he sees it, we'll see Christ and his anger and his rage and his demand for justice, I think will wane. We read on verse 21 says, that's my confidence <laughs> that you're going to do just that. Yeah. It's one thing to talk about Jesus, to preach a sermon. It's quite another to let his life be lived in and through us. It's a, a far more powerful message. Yeah. I find it interesting, Frank, that Paul, even being so far away, anticipates and then plans for a bump in the road. The whole idea of, of money. I have no idea. Scripture is silent about what he took, how much it was worth. But he gets in there right off the bat and says, hey, look, don't let any financial aspect get in the way of this relationship. He's already invested tremendously in Onesimus. He says earlier that he's a great value to me. So mm. I don't want you to overlook the value he'll be just because he owes you some money. And I know this might be a rabbit trail, Frank. You and I have talked about money a lot off the podcast for a while. But money is so often at the root of so many failed relationships. It truly is. I want to share one little bit of a story. I took a new job in a different state some time ago, and we visited a new church. And someone said, oh, you're here. And what do you do? Well, I work for this university. And what's your role? And I made hmm. the mistake of telling them what my job title was. And they automatically assumed Job title equal money equal haughty equal attitude. And he said, well, I guess we he really won't be friends then, will we? <laughs> wow. And I thought, wow, are you caught up in uh, the money roadblock or what? Hmm. I see Paul's wisdom. You know, he knows Philemon well. He knows now Onesimus well. And he already smooths the road so that this shouldn't even be an issue should it? Mm. No, of course not. But John, you know, as I was listening to you, that really was tragic what that gentleman did to you. But I, it does make me wonder if he had past experience 
that contributed to that. You know what I'm saying? We don't have the caste system like some countries do, like India. And yet, in a sense, we do have a caste system, at least by perception and sometimes by practice. And, you know, we see that in the book of James. Don't show partiality. Oh, and yes. what is, he goes right on to say, but you do as soon as that rich guy walks in the door. So and then there's resentment. And so, yeah, we can talk about it. But I bet that guy had some past experience, too. It's just sad that that past experience hindered the present opportunity to have a relationship with you. That's right. And as it turns out, he indeed did have some past experience. But hmm. it's not only his wrinkle, Frank. All of us wrestle with this. You and I have talked a lot as we've worked together in a church for, for decades. You know, whenever we needed money, my standard prayer was Psalm 50. You know, God, you own the cattle on a thousand hills. So sell a few cows, sir. We need some cash. God didn't create money. He works with it. We created it. And, you know, mm -hmm. we take this thing that we create and we use it as a measuring stick for our relationship with other members of the body of Christ. It's like it becomes an idol to us. Uh, we'd never say that. But when we see circumstances like this, we're really elevating finances or some other measure uh, above the relationship. And this is exactly what Paul is trying to head off with Onesimus and Philemon. Mm. That's exactly right. And he's offering to be the debtor instead of Onesimus. That's right. That's the, ex the extreme that he'll go to, to see a relationship restored. Going back to a comment you made earlier, you mentioned about Paul in lawsuits in 1 Corinthians. He says in 1 Corinthians 6, I think is the chapter, uh, do you have a lawsuit against the brother? Well, guess what? You've already lost. <laughs> Wow. You know, even if you win, the fact that you're suing a brother over something, this is tough because our entire mm. world system works on law and the way the law works is through lawsuits. So if you take a lawsuit against the brother, Paul says you've already lost. Why? Because the relationship is already broken. You're adversarial. And no matter how this ends, whether you win, quote unquote, or he wins, quote unquote, you're going to forever remember this relationship as the defining moment for the rest of your lives. Wow. And so you wow. said it earlier, and I think it's right on. Why not rather be defrauded and leave the door open for relationship? Wow. You know, I know the, Paul would probably whip out the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 6 and lay it out before Philemon says, son, here's your marching order right here. Make sure you follow this. Mm. But you know what I love, John, about Paul is he didn't do that. You look at this passage, I'm looking at it right now. As an apostle, he could have ordered Philemon to do that. He had authority but he appeals to his heart. He draws him out. He shows him who Onesimus is. He's a brother in Christ now. Don't look at him as a fugitive thief anymore. And he draws Philemon out. I mean, who are you? You're not a vengeful, Lamech kind of guy. You're a child of God. And, and even Paul, he says, I'm your brother and I'll pay the debt. And there's no high-handedness here. You know what I'm saying? It's 
it's a drawing out of our true self uh, into a, what could be a, a very difficult circumstance that, and if our true self will enter into it instead of that old false self, we've got a great chance at producing a relationship that really never existed before, not just restoring what it was, but making it so much better. Yeah. I think, Frank, that it takes a miraculous work of God in our hearts and our minds that we would begin to see the value of relationship that highly. I don't think we do, generally. In fact, I'm pretty confident that we don't. And when I read with Paul's words, and you're talking about the pleading and the reasoning, uh, in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, hey, why not rather be defrauded. It's almost like saying, have you thought of this? There's a plan B here. There's a door number two. You don't have to choose door number one. You can choose a different path. And you know, who knows, you might actually leave the door open for relationship. Yes, you might be, you might lose out, you might lose money, but you know, it's not as valuable as relationship. And boy, that's where I think I have struggled. I know you have struggled most in the church struggle because we don't like to be defrauded because we fail to see the value of relationship. And our father values relationships so highly that he gave the word of God who became the son to die for us. He took that step for us and paid that cost because his his appreciation for relationship with me is that great. I tell you, man, I just, I don't even know what to say. So I'm going to let you wrap it up with your final, <laughs> final preacher thoughts. You know, I was talking with somebody today, John, about the seen versus the unseen world and the seen world. It's so easy for us to cling to it, to order our lives completely around that which we see. But there's an unseen world that has a greater reality because it's eternal and it's real. It's totally pure and right because it's the world of, of God. And the money, the vengeance, the judging, the high-handedness, the one-upmanship, I'm going to be right, all of that is part of the seen world. And, you know, the gospel writers said that world's passing away. There's no substance to it. It doesn't last. So we've got to start seeing the unseen world through eyes of faith and let that govern us. And, John, those are such lofty words. I don't want our listeners to think that I have attained that or you have attained that oh, in any way. Well. It's our journey. We're further along than we were 30 years ago when we first started our tirade against the church, <laughs> but we're not yet there. As Paul himself said, he's not yet there. And he presses on to know and experience Christ. So that's what I think I would leave our listeners with. Let's wow. all press on to know and experience Christ. That's the only way we're ever going to transform the world we live in. That's right. Amen, brother. I remember you and I used to take turns quitting from week to week. I'd get frustrated <laughs> and I'd say, I quit. And you say, you can't quit. 
you quit last week. It's my turn to quit. <laughs> you know, the point is that, hey, life is frustrating. Relationships are frustrating. But Jesus makes it all right. He gives you the power and the strength and the love to persevere as he chose to persevere. Yeah. I have a good buddy. This is how he says it. God's love for others in me will never die. That's true, John. I can try to squelch that love, but it's still there. <laughs> His love in us for others is never going to die. It's whether or not we're going to live by it and from it. Amen. Good thoughts today, friend. It was a great time. And friends, you've been listening to the Our Resolute Hope podcast. As Frank and I have been sort of bashing our way through the book of Philemon, looking into what's involved in restoring relationships. A great topic, but a pretty difficult task. Impossible without Jesus Christ. Thanks for visiting our website, ourresolutehope.com. Please uh, go there, pop us an email, let us hear from you, sign up for our newsletter. We've got a number of books and eBooks that are available there, including Pastor Frank's latest book, Finding God in the Grave, The Lonely Path of Pain. I hear it from a good source. It's going to be an international bestseller. Of course, the good source is Pastor Frank himself. So don't know how trustworthy that is. And uh, please uh, don't forget to follow us on all of our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and uh, wherever you hear your podcast. And as always, we close with this very same reminder because it never gets old from Hebrews chapter six, that we have this hope as an anchor for our souls. Peter calls it a living hope. Frank and I call it a resolute hope, a bedrock, rock solid kind of hope. And that hope is Jesus. So today and always, choose that hope. Choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, he offers you himself, his own life. He wants to live his life with you, in you, and through you as you trust him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.